So one of my favorite pictures of my youngest child, my son, um, is of him sitting backwards on a chair, and he has his arms sort of folded and his head off to the side. And he has this expression of just deep sadness. It's a picture that I took of him when he was in a timeout. And I know that it's odd to have that be a favorite picture, but I like it because it displays an aspect of his humanity. This captured moment of him sitting by himself, feeling the weight of judgment. And his face is just this quiet and still reflection of all that is happening within his spirit at that moment. He's not crying or screaming, and he's just holding his emotions. And there's a beauty in it that is seldom captured, I think, in the pictures that we take of our children. And it's rarely depicted in life. We tend to turn away or walk away when we see someone being scolded or remonstrated because it's uncomfortable, embarrassing, and it feels like a violation of their privacy. Peter pulls Jesus aside to have this hard conversation, and very quickly, the tables are turned on who exactly is admonishing who. In today's scripture, our immediate impressions of Christ's exchange with Peter, and then this lecture that he gives to the disciples, brings to mind this sort of scolding scene. We see Peter being called to task, and it's hard to watch. In these verses, we see Jesus expressing anger and frustration. He's willing to call one of his best friends, Satan. And from this point of frustration, Jesus appears to be telling the disciples, it's really put up or shut up time. You're either going to fall in line or don't let the door hit you. And these verses have been used in a somewhat self-righteous way to sort of point out to all of you all that you're not doing for Jesus. Have you sacrificed enough? Have you given enough? Well, if you don't, then when Jesus comes, you might not be a part of the in crowd that gets to stay in heaven. But one of the reasons why timeouts are a successful discipline tool is they disrupt what is happening and give us time to think about what's transpired. Even in our sadness, our embarrassment, we can discover meaning. So we're going to take some time to think about what Christ is actually saying to Peter and the disciples. At the beginning of our verses, Peter feels compelled to pull Jesus aside and to question what they've just been told. And it flies by so quickly that we almost miss it. Yes, Peter is concerned about the outcome, the promise that we talked about last week uh, that Wellington so aptly described in Bible study yesterday as being about making Israel great again. 
we know, we know the disciples and the church leaders have been waiting for a political leader who's going to bring the Hebrew people to a place of sovereignty over their own lives and destiny. But Peter's words here are much more personal. This must never happen to you, Lord. Peter loves Jesus. And Christ has just told all of them that he's going to be murdered. And he's not going to just die, but he's going to die in a terrible and shameful way. Peter doesn't want this to happen for profoundly personal reasons, not political. And I believe that plays an enormous role in Jesus' reaction and why he in turn is so emotional. He feels Peter's desperation, his fear. And we know from the prayers that Jesus will make later in the garden that Jesus is feeling those things himself. This is what is going to happen. And Jesus really needs Peter to not make it any harder than it already is going to be. But also in this moment, Jesus is realizing that it is time to keep it 100 with the disciples. The next verses follow immediately because in their specific context, they are letting the disciples know that from this point on, Following him is going to mean suffering and death. His death, their death, their friend's death. And he's not going to sugarcoat it anymore because everyone needs to understand what's on the line here. And he's taking care to outline why that matters. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For the disciples, this is both literal and spiritual. By focusing on what will make them strong, powerful, victorious, they are losing the life that Jesus has spent his entire lifetime teaching about. Loving others. Sharing what you have so that everyone can eat. Healing those who are ill. Building community with those who have been outcast. Caring for the widows, the orphan, and the enslaved. Jesus' life and teaching was deeply political and disruptive to the comfort of those in power and to this promise of a victorious future. And he is unequivocal that if one of the disciples choose to ally themselves with the power structure to save themselves, they would physically live. But the cost to their souls would be eternal. And he's equally honest that continuing to follow him would likely mean imprisonment and death, a fate that did befall most of the disciples. But 2,000 plus years later, 
We are still striving for that life that Jesus preached and they lived out. The calling has lived on. And we have learned from their ministry and the study of their stories long after they died. For us today, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus has taken on meaning sometimes that can sort of corrupt or dilute what Jesus was imploring his disciples to understand. These verses offer a sense of scolding for us now, but somewhere along the way, we stopped taking the time out to reflect on what it actually means for us. Following Jesus does mean sacrifice, but that sacrifice is unique to each of us. The question before us is not one of comparison to other people, but what have we been given financially, intellectually, emotionally, communally? And how do we surrender our will to God? Sacrifice can mean we let go of relationships that are unhealthy, or taking a stand for what is right but might cost you your job. Or verbally confronting the racism you encounter at a local coffee shop. In each moment, that sacrifice will range from mild discomfort to your literal life. Like Heather Heyer in the Charlottesville riots, or the two gentlemen in Portland who stepped in to protect a couple of Muslim women on a train. Jesus is alerting us to the fact that following his teachings and the example of his life may very well lead us to places that are uncomfortable, hurtful, or even deadly. But what we gain, what the world gains, is equally literal. When these moments happen, those around us are changed. Society is changed. And God's love is made real. These are the moments where we see the kingdom of God breaking through and becoming real for us. Jesus is also letting us know that holding on to those comforts, our power, our privilege, our control, comes at a price too. And that cost is in the hardening of our hearts and the death of our souls. The life that Christ says we will lose is not just eternal life, but the quality of the life that we experience here on earth. When we focus on all the things that we might lose, our compassion for others can die. And we saw a harsh example of this most recently played out in Hurricane Harvey. Mega churches with money and space and the human resources of thousands of members were largely, or in some cases entirely, absent from the relief effort. But 
there was Al-Salam Mosque in Houston that immediately opened its doors to anyone who needed shelter, with members coming in and making food, to play with children, to provide bedding and other services. And at their busiest, they only had about 40 people. But they've still taken in donations and are working to distribute them back to the whole community. A woman named Ania Sharna, who lived in that neighborhood, she had walked past the mosque for years, but had never once been inside of it. And when she learned what they were doing, she walked over to volunteer. She's Catholic, her husband is Jewish, but she said, this is beyond all that. By opening herself up to what was uncomfortable, going into the mosque in her neighborhood, just a couple blocks from her house, she found life and connection and peace. Something that those thousands of mega churchgoers lost the chance to experience and they're failing to live out the gospel that they proclaim to preach. Jesus is telling the disciples that the hardest part of following is in being open to wherever God leads you and knowing that it may lead you places that are not comfortable, that are not safe, and usually entirely unexpected. Now, because we're Presbyterian, we have to turn to C.S. Lewis in moments like this. So he sums this up in a book he wrote called God in the Dock. And he writes, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of pork could do that. If you want religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. We're not called to be comfortable. We are called to love. We're called to justice. We're called to empathy. We're called to be agents of God's light and peace, bringing hope and healing to those who need it. Love is and has always been an action. Here endeth the lesson. Please pray with me. Gracious God, you call us in to send us out. We come here to hear your word and to learn and to open ourselves up to what it is that you are calling us to do and be. Every single spirit here, no matter their age or their ability, is called to do something for you. Allow us to hear that call. Help us to trust that you will care for us wherever that leads. Help us to be gentle with ourselves and our discernment. Your time is not our time, and sometimes the call takes a while, and that's okay. The point is that we are always to be listening, to be seeking out where it is in the world that you are needed most. 
and to look for the ways in which we can help bring more light into those, those spaces and into the lives of the people who need it. We come here to be rejuvenated and refreshed as we embark on a new year, as we prepare for all the different things and challenges that fall will bring, whether it's school or whether it's the long road of cleanup and repair and restoration in the flood damaged areas, not just in Texas, Louisiana, but in India and Southeast Asia. Help us to be a world community, to be aware of what's going on, to be seeking your truth and your justice. All these things we pray in your holy name. Amen. Could you stand as you are able as we sing 649?